says, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. Oh, that's five. There you go. I, I have four. They said to him, there you go, You are old. Don't you love it when people say that to you? <laughs> You're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Ouch. That hurts even more than saying you are old. Can you imagine someone saying, you're old. Also, your sons are terrible. Your children are awful. We can't trust them. Now, appoint a king to lead us, such such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. And so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. God said, I'm their king. I'm Israel's king. I'm your king. They said, no, we want to be like everybody else. We want our own king. We want a king that we can see and touch. We want a king who will tell us what to do, to lead us into battle and fight battles with us as if God has not carried them through any battles. God is faithful. Now imagine this conversation between God and at least thinking what the people are saying. He says, God would say, aren't you a holy people? What's holy mean? Aren't you a distinct, a separate people? What separates you from all the other nations? Is it not me as your king? So he says, okay, You don't want me as your king. You don't want my will to lead you. Therefore, your will be done. Now, it's a great saying, your will be done, when we say it to God. But it is a very frightening thing when God says to his people, your will be done. God, I want my way. This is arrogance. It's not humility. Arrogance is, I know best, I understand, I see clearly, I see, I see the long-term outcomes. Remember when you were a kid and you t- were arguing with your parents and they said, do one thing, you're like, no, I want to do it this way, because all you could see was right in front of you, but your parents have experience, long-term experience, and they could tell you what is going to come of that decision. And every parent's shaking their head, Yep. I can see the long-term outcomes. No, you can't. I know what's best in this life because of what my culture is telling me, what people around me are telling me. No, you don't. You can't see long-term. It takes a very humble person to say, "I, I don't see as you see, God. Humility isn't, no, I don't know anything. But humility is, Lord, you know best. Lord, you understand. Like Isaiah 40 says, your understanding no one can fathom. Humility is saying, Lord, you see clearly. You see the long-term outcomes as well as the short-term. But the people have arrogance. And so God gave them a king. He told Samuel to anoint Saul. Saul was the best of the best. But he wasn't good enough. He seemed like he was the right guy at the time, but he turned out to be not the right guy. Is this in the shot here? We're good. 
for the people online. Hello. And after Saul, we had David. And then after David, we had some good kings and some bad kings. Most of them were bad kings. But even the best king, which was David, was not the king that Israel needed. This long cycle of realizing that their own will was not good. In Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to come and tie that up later. The Lord says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He's speaking of Jesus. This is the, what's called in theology the Proto-Evangelion, the first good news. The first announcement of the good news in Scripture is that God is going to send somebody who is the seed of woman. Now, if you know anything about biology class, the seed is typically belonging to the man. But here he says, the seed of the woman, which is there anybody who is only born of a woman? All of us are born of a woman and a man, but there's only one born of a woman, and that is Jesus Christ. The woman with the help of the Holy Spirit. And he will crush your head. He's speaking to whom? He's speaking to Satan. And you will strike his heel. Now concerning Satan, striking his heel is Jesus' death on the cross. And his crushed head is Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Now concerning humanity, so that's concerning Satan here, concerning humanity, we are harmed by evil. Satan has struck our heel. We have sinned. We have broken communion with people and with God. But we have also crushed his head. Now, have we ourselves done it? No, but one who is representing humanity, one who took on human flesh has done it. And he's victorious over him, the evil one. He's the victorious strength of the seed of the woman. Jesus is the strong man that we need. He's the perfect human sent by the Father. He is the one who does the will of the Father. And we never crowned him as king. But instead we murdered him on a cross. Now I'll take you to the third passage. There's, there's the image of Jesus' heel crushing the head of the serpent. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus entered a house, and again the crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Now, many of us have not had houses like that since the pandemic, but you can remember a time where you were around so many people, crowded in a space, and you probably were loving every minute of it. So Jesus is crowded in a space. People want to hear him speak. People are going out of the way, tripping over their own feet just to see Jesus But his family heard about this and they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. He's out of his mind. Can you believe Jesus' own family said these words about him? Could you imagine if your mom and dad, well, they probably already said this, you're out of your mind. You see short term, I see long term. You're out of your mind. But Jesus himself, you're crazy. 
you have an issue. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, so they join in, you have an issue. Here's your issue. We're going to diagnose it for you. He's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. And so Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. And here's the parable. How can Satan drive out Satan? A house divided cannot stand. Surely his house would crumble. But I tell you, a man cannot enter into a strong man's house and take his goods, can't steal from him, unless he first binds up the strong man, then he can plunder all the goods. What's Jesus saying here? Are you sure you want to follow this guy? Everyone thinks he's crazy. The religious leaders say he has an evil spirit. Jesus doesn't defend himself. Rather, he tells this story. He's the one who binds up the strong man and he plunders the goods. This is Alexei Novikov, the world's strongest man in 2020. It's 2021. Somebody else has probably beat him out by now. The world's strongest man. Satan is the world's strongest man. And he has entered into a world and he has caused a rebellion and he has taken everybody hostage and he's trying to impose his will upon all the earth and we need a rescuer. But Jesus is the universe's strongest man. He comes in, he throws down, puts Satan in a headlock, ties him up, and then releases the captives. Reminds me of the story of Homer's Odyssey, where Odysseus returns to Troy after 20 years. His house is filled with suitors who are vying for position to marry his wife, Penelope, because after all, she's probably a widow. He's gone 20 years. So they're drinking his wine. They're eating his food, all the stuff that comes from his, his kingdom, his fields, eating his cattle, enjoying the presence of his wife. And really, she can't get them out until she decides who she will marry. So she decides that they would have an archery contest if they would string her husband's bow and shoot the arrow accurately through axes. She would marry that person. But all the strong men, they come up and they try their best to string the bow, but they can't do it. They can't even shoot the arrow. But here comes Odysseus who has seen all of this when he sneaks back into his own kingdom. He only tells his son. He dresses as a beggar he enters into the, the realm of all these other men. And after everyone's tried, he strings the bow, bends it with all his strength, and brings that bow back, as you see here, and shoots it straight through the axes, at the axe heads. And then he goes on and slaughters all the men who are there. Pretty gruesome. But this is like what Jesus has done for us. Where every 
where Satan is trying to take control, the rightful person, the rightful king returns and restores to himself what is rightfully his. And it's us, his beloved, his bride. Aren't you thankful for a king like that? The strongest man. Doing God's will is hard. For Jesus, it's his strength. For us, it's our weakness. Why? Because just like Adam and Eve in the garden, we have been tempted with our own will. Don't you want to be like God? Don't you want to know good from evil? Don't you want to decide for yourself what is good and what is evil? Don't you want your eyes to be open? Don't you want to see clearly? Don't you want to understand? Sounds pretty alluring. And so we took the place of God ourselves to do our own will. But Jesus came, God himself came not to do his own will, but to do the will of the one who sent him. That's Jesus' strength. That's our weakness. And here's the gospel. When Jesus comes and takes residence in our life, he empowers us to do God's will through his death, resurrection, and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just give the Holy Spirit. Yes, he gives it, but then he lives within us. That's the gospel. And so after he says all these things about the story of the strong man binding up, uh, sorry, the man binding up the strong man and taking all his goods, people came in, they kind of got through and said, Jesus, we need to see you. You have people outside looking for you. It's not just anybody looking for you. It's your mother and your brothers. It's your family. The same family that said he's out of his mind. And so Jesus responds to them. Whoever does God's will. Is my brother and sister. And mother. This is my family. This is my community. This is the mark. Of the community of believers. That's our theme for the summer. We're not just his people. But we are his family if we do the will of the Father. And so what makes us different than any other good citizen groups in our country? What makes us different than any other good doers in the world? What makes us different than any other people who practice other religions who are in fact good people in the eyes of the world? Are we holy? What distinguishes us? It is the very presence of God. It has to be. If it's not that, then what is it? Remember what Israel said? Or at least Moses said this. God, if if you don't go with us, if you don't continue on with us, how will the world know that we belong to you? What What would make us different from everybody else? We will not leave unless your presence goes with us. Are we holy? What makes us distinct from everybody else? We have the word of God. Not just the written word of God in scripture, but the word of God in human flesh. The full revelation of God in Christ. 
Are we holy? And if we have these things, yet we do not obey him, we are like, as James says, a man who looks into the mirror and forgets what he looks like. Are we holy? If we lack these things, presence, word, and obedience, who are we? Who are we? Do you ever lay awake at night wondering who you are? What you're doing? Maybe your job's not fulfilling you. Maybe your family or your neighbors are bothering you. Wonder what your purpose is. Perhaps you're lacking one of these. Or all of these. We need the Lord. Praise God. I don't want to go there yet. Jesus is the Son of God who says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And he prays, not my will, but yours be done. He models perfect obedience, perfect love, perfect union. And he helps us come to the realization that I cannot and I have not And I have fallen short of of obeying God. How hard is it to do the will of God? Is it that hard? Well, it's very difficult for the arrogant. But it becomes much easier for the humble. And if you haven't already, I pray that there comes a day when you say to the Lord... Your will be done. But if that's not your heart's desire, there will come a day when God will say, Your will be done. Like Israel demanding a king, and God says, Okay, have your king. Okay, have your way. But take heart. Jesus is the strongest man. Jesus is the one who has modeled what it is to do the will of the Father. And the truth is we can't do the will of the Father without Jesus living in us. And he calls us to repentance. Repentance is saying, I have not done what I should have done. I've been walking in this direction. I need to walk toward you. I need to have a change of mind. Repentance is not... I'm hopeless, I cannot, and I will not. I just need to cling to Jesus. No, repentance is walking in the way of Jesus. Repentance is, Lord, teach me to do your will. That's repentance. The strongest one teaches us how to pray. When you pray, you say, Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. That puts us in the right position. You are the great Holy One, I'm not. You see clearly. I don't. You have understanding. I trust you. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Say it with me. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He teaches us how to pray. The strongest one renews our heart 
no longer a hard heart, heart of stone, as Ezekiel says, but rather he gives us a heart of flesh. Not like Pharaoh, who's, who had a hard heart and wouldn't listen to the word of the Lord through Moses, but rather like David, who, when found out, when exposed, when convicted of his sin, he fell on his knees and he prayed, created me a clean heart, O God. He was imperfect, yet he modeled repentance. And the good news is that Jesus can soften the hardest of hearts. And he gives the Holy Spirit, which is like oil on dry skin. He's like water on parched land. He renews our hearts. And the strongest one, lastly, he, praise God, resurrects us from the dead. Paul says, you were once dead. But now because of Christ, you're alive. Someday you're going to be buried. They're going to throw dirt in your face and go back to the church and eat potato salad, as Tony Campolo says. But someday Christ will call you out of that grave and give you a new heavenly body which will never see decay. You look forward to that day. And we'll see our king, our glorious king, who has returned to bring up the dead, we see that he has bound the evil one and defeated sin and death completely for us and has set us free. Therefore, consecrate yourself to him today. Pray with me, Lord, not my will, but may your will be done. Have your way in me. Lord, have your way in us. Be our king today. We get off of our throne. We present ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. We love you, Lord. We bless your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.